0: Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between. With your host, Barry Kirby. Hello and welcome to this episode of 12 or 2, the Human Factors podcast with me, your host, Barry Kirby. Before I get started on the main topic of the uh, of this podcast, the first bit is a couple of parish notices. Um, in case you haven't seen it, the latest ergonomics magazine is out and it had, I'm really pleased to say, an article on smart towns. Uh, the work I've been doing and the subject of one of the previous episodes of this podcast there is also a few events coming up in the uh, being held largely by the Chartered Institute of Economics and Human Factors. So on the 13th of November, there is the Global Strategies for HF Advancement webinar, uh, which is an interview with the IEA, and that should give us an idea about what the IEA priorities are for the 2018 to 2021 term moving forward. The CIHF is uh, hosting an, a careers day um, on the 26th of February. And then it is, as I think we mentioned before, the Ergonomics and Human Factors Conference on the 27th of April, uh, next year. And if you're looking to put a paper into that, I believe that the, um, that the deadline didn't move. And so you're now too late. That closed on the 1st of November. Though if it has changed, then, um, I'm sure somebody would let us know. But tonight, I wanted to have a little bit of fun, and you may have noticed that there's been an election called. So on the 12th of December, uh, the all of us British people will be going to the polls to elect a new government. I thought it would be quite good fun to look back at a bit of behavioural research that I carried out it was just after the twenty seventeen general election. I will declare a bit of a bias uh, that I've been at the pointy end of political campaigning as a strategist, a campaigner, and a political candidate uh, myself at a parliamentary as well parliamentary level as well as a local councillor. But it was this experience of talking to lots of people on the campaign trail, um, combined with my love of human research, that sort of set this idea uh, in in motion. the The research is based around really a bit of a niggling thought that the way that people vote is affected by their own motivations and it's directly analogous to their class situation. So I had this idea that the way people vote could be mapped to their motivational needs and if this was done we would understand the fundamental correlations between voting history, motivational need and the implication to class. The the, the research that, uh, that, that I did really only dips its toe into the water of this topic. It was a very, very small sample study, Uh, so effectively just a pilot study. Uh, It gathered a relatively small sample of data, um, less than um, 500 uh, candidates, to look to see if the correlations could exist. So nothing that I'm gonna talk about is actually what I would call hard and fast data, but it, it gives us a really interesting indication about what could be out there. Um, The questionnaire, so this was done by um, Self-Selected Questionnaire, um, done on the um, interweb, aimed to be simplistic and it used tried and tested methods rather than implementing a brand new approach. It used a a simple scoring um, version of uh, Maslow's motivational questionnaire um, that asked respondents to prioritise sets of statements related to what they would like out of a job that is ideal for them. It then went on to self-identify political leanings on a left-right scale. And then finally, it asked for voting intention in past general elections between 1997 and 2017. So we did actually produce a um, an infographic on this, and um, that was published. Now we'll um, put a link to it in the uh, in the description of of this podcast, and so you should be able to be able to see that. So if you want to have a look at it, but fundamentally, yeah, it's it's about comparing um, the way people vote with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So why Maslow? Um, some people like Maslow, some people don't. There's been um, stuff that says that he was it was quite insightful. Other things that sort of rubbish um, what what he said. But fundamentally, uh, if you've listened to uh, previous episodes of this podcast, you'll know I've used Maslow's hierarchy of needs before. I did it in the um, in the look, looking at users and looking at um, digital immigrants and digital natives. Where I talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and sticking the Wi-Fi level on the bottom, but in this podcast I hopefully will go into a bit more around Maslow itself. So, for those of you who are not aware, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a it's a theory uh, proposed by Abraham Maslow in 1943. So, he's been around a while. His paper entitled, "A Theory of Human Motivation." So it's it's his motivational theory, and it started off as a five-tier model of human needs. It's largely written uh, whenever you see it in a pyramid or triangle format with distinctive hierarchical levels, five le- levels. Uh, and Maslow believed that everyone's basic need is really around physical survival. Physical survival has to be obtained to in, then or, or to reach up and higher uh, needs to to satisfy higher needs. Everyone will move up and down their own personal hierarchy, depending on their current situation and whatever their personal life circumstances are. Therefore, our motivation is to fill the the next level up on that hierarchy of needs. The original five-stage model uh, can be divided into deficiency needs and growth needs. The first four levels are often referred to as deficiency needs or D needs. And the top level is known as growth or being needs or B needs. Um, deficiency needs are key motivators the longer that that deficiency need is denied the more we will want to um, will want to have that need to be fulfilled so if you don't eat your hunger increases it's imperative to the progression that the lower levels within the hierarchy the needs are met you're not able to move up higher otherwise but it's we've also got to recognize that this hierarchy is not unidirectional you, once you've reached a high level, you don't just stay there, it, it's achieved and all is done. As you go through life, um, your needs will differ, they will fluctuate depending on what's happening. Uh, so you'll move back and forth or up and down through this hierarchy. And it was interesting because Maslow um, also stated that not, only not 0.01% of people will actually reach self actualization. So... As I said, this original work consisted of of five layers and stating that the very basic level, we have to have uh, the basic needs to function. So there are biological and physical needs. That is air, food and drink, shelter and warmth, sleep, sex, them type of um, base needs. Then as we move up, then we talk about more of our needs of safety. So protection from the elements, security, law and order, stability, uh, a framework there to um, to make sure that we are um, protected then love and belongingness so more so than just the sex which is um, the basic need but actually looking at things like friendship and intimacy trust and acceptance receiving and giving affection and love then that goes higher up into esteem our self um, self self-esteem achieving things getting mastery of things uh, independence from not having to be dependent on, on anybody else and we look, that's when we're looking at things like status, dominance, prestige, responsibility, say managerial in, in in a workplace, that type of thing. And then the pinnacle of the five-layer model was, self, was self-actualization, self-actualization, easy for you to say, where we're realizing your, your own personal potential and you're your seeking your personal growth and, and peak experiences. You can tell I'm reading that off so, of my notes. So really the higher that one goes then the more you can look at achievement and this is the part of the model that really got me thinking because actually it's as you go up when you're looking at the uh the really base levels you're looking at your own personal security you're really inward looking you haven't got the mental or physical energy to look outside of your own uh, situation but as you go up through the model that also correlates to your ability to look at others and look at how you interact with communities and therefore become more um, more sharing and uh, more looking to influence those around you, not just yourself. The In 1970, Maslow's hierarchy of needs was, was expanded to include um, three more elements, cognitive needs, aesthetic needs and transcendence needs. And Therefore, the pyramid went from five to eight levels and these new three elements are uh, placed within the category of B needs. If you want to go and have a look at them, um, I've I looked at www.simplypsychology.org forward slash Maslow and, and that explains a, lo- a lot of it there. But it is quite interesting to see um, how, these, how the thinking around Maslow keeps on going on. But for this study, uh, I like to keep it simple. So we I kept with the original five layers. And actually, the reason behind this goes back to the, the methodology was that there are actually quite a few off-the-shelf, as it were, tested questionnaires available around Maslow's five-layer five hierarchy of needs. Um, if we carry on with this... Uh, with the, with this study and, and pick it up, which it could really do after this next election, I'd be quite keen to look at the more in-depth eight layer model, and I would adopt that to get try and get a greater level of fidelity. The questionnaire used focused on job roles, and asked the uh, the user to weight five groups of statements. These statements then relate to the balance scoring mechanism. At the end, I highlight each individual's place on the hierarchy. So, from the um, from the Maslow element, I, I was quite confident in the way that we were doing the uh, the measurement because it was all predefined things and and well proven uh, proven techniques. The next step is possibly, if I'm going to admit it, that it gets slightly flaky. Um, it's how you measure somebody's political intent. Now, if anybody can actually get the full grasp on this, then um, they'll have, in political terms, achieved nirvana, because the political measure was the key area to link the hierarchy to the political leanings. And therefore, to make that selection as painless as possible and get more factual and basic data was seen as key. Rather than, I didn't want to get stuck into in-depth discussions on actual uh, policies and things like that. It was, a lot of people identify, they're either Blue, red, or yellow, um, or green, or light blue, or whatever. But um, at this point, it was um, trying to keep it simple to what people identified as, rather than digging down to what they truly believed in. Um, relate policy related to um, party. So, and this is kind of backed up because actually the feedback from many elections I've done. Um, both that I've been involved in, and from other people, key individual policies don't actually make that much difference with the way people vote. Many people do vote the same way all the time, with only a limited set of people actually switching vote. And this is be, this is why we sort of talk a lot about uh, tactical voting and, and and that type of thing. It's because we know that um, certain people just just have voted and will vote the same way. Uh, consistently, um, almost regardless of what happens, when we consider how much the political parties have changed over the years, yet people still follow them because that's the part of their group, and there's a lot of cultural and behavioural aspects to do with that, which we're not going to go into. We're going to try and keep it quite simple. I will uh, also admit that there is a weakness in this data that, that I've that we've collected because I guess that the the, no, the number of respondents. Was more left-wing than right-wing, um, and that's a nuance that was just inherent in the data. That the way that we collected it, I guess it it um, a it achieved more uh, more people responding um, who identify as left-wing rather than right-wing. But it also does fit with the way that uh, pollsters get data, because there is sort of theory out there that if you're if you identify centre left to left wing then if somebody asks you how you're going to vote you, you generally tell them how you're going to vote whereas more right wing people tend to be more reserved and don't tend to answer questions or polls around around that so again whilst this was just a pilot study and it got what we wanted to go and then look at looking at this deeper that would have to be uh, catered for and, um, for and designed out so Looking at people's political leanings, for this pilot study, we were keen to understand how people self-identify on the left-right scale, and then which party they voted for. It's a very blunt measure, but it does fulfil the need to understand people individual's perception of their own political leanings. All I did really it was a slider with three main points, and that was a limitation of the survey tool I was using. You either got far left, centre, and far right. However, encoding the results, each result was categorized into five main points: left, center, left, center, center, right, and right. That was because during some feedback when we were doing the survey, the use of far left and far right um, might have been misinterpreted or uh, you know, basically riled people up. So that is something I, I definitely would change in the uh, in the next phase. So. In simple terms, we asked how people voted um, in the elections from the most recent back to 1997. The main parties were all represented. Um, they that wasn't predefined. Uh, that but all the main parties at the time did um, did have uh, re- representation. The including the Greens, including UKIP. Obviously, at the time, the Brexit Party didn't exist. Um, so again, it would be interesting to see the change now. And also, we encourage people to. Um, Tell us if they spoiled their ballot, and or and if they didn't actually vote. So, um, and we did get some of that. The people who didn't vote, we split down into further categories of either they were too young to vote or simply just didn't vote. Um. So we got we executed the questionnaire and left it out for a period of time. As I said right at the beginning, we got it was still a relatively small sample. It was less than 500 respondents. Um, but actually, the main results highlighted in the first instance largely what you would expect: more left people, le- or self-identifying left-leaning people, voted Labour, and more right-wing people voted Conservative. And there was also a Venn diagram uh, type approach of the of coalescing in the centre ground of where left met right. What was actually quite interesting is the people who self-identified as Liberal Democrats. Um, mainly identified as left-wing, so centre-left, and more aligned with the left, whereas I think a lot of people think that they are uh, bang on that centre-ground piece. And certainly in 2017 uh, when this data was gathered, then that just simply wasn't true. They were or oh, walk, walking into that, uh, that, that centre-left zone. Now, again, it could be simply a nuance of the sample, but It was a a strong showing, so it does question at the time, um, is the Liberal Democrat Party really a centre-ground party or a left-wing, a centre-left one? Now, commentary you could have, and I'd be interested in your thoughts about the difference between that and that and now. But there was, more, from my perspective, a, a slightly more interesting nuance. So, when we look at this compared with the Maslow scale, those people who are more in need, um, you'd expect to be um, lower down on the on, on Maslow scale, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and those to be more, like I said, more left wing, therefore Labour voting. And those who are more fulfilled and able to think on a larger organisational level are more right wing and therefore Conservative voting. And actually the results gave a glimmer that this possibly, or quite probably, isn't the case. And that the Labour Party has been the choice of those who are more fulfilled, so more affluent. Um, they they tend to be, um, I guess you, you could argue, some, some along the lines of the liberal elite. The people who are more fulfilled and can be outward looking are therefore uh, Labour Party voting. And the Conservative Party, so that right-wing party, was those who were looking to build relationships and, um, and and do that sort of work. It's actually the Liberal Democrats who've been the party that has been voted for by those in the lower motivational levels. So, them um, those looking for safety um, and security um, have been the have been the um, the Liberal, Liberal Democrats voting ground. Now, all of that is quite interesting because. You've really got to look at who the parties target and is that the right place that they should be targeting to get their votes. Now, I'm sure they'll quite happily tell us that they do all of their focus groups and they know who their target people are, but there is um, an element there that um, says that actually it makes a certain amount of sense. That if you're entirely focused on looking at safety, security, that type of thing, then you maybe don't want you don't think about the outside world as much because you're that busy you're you're that focused on trying to provide for you and your your family. You want somebody else to do that for you, and there is a certain element of um, the Conservative Party rule that says that they you know they they give you stern authority and they will they will tell you what to do. Therefore, the um, those on that on that lower social scale. Will look up to that and and vote for it. It is the um, the richer, more affluent people who um, have the the headspace to turn around and say, "I know I'm been successful. I can then vote for. I can then change things for those who also need it." Um, but then it is surprising to see that 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 the, um, that the Liberal Democrat vote was going in right right at that bottom level. Maybe people see that as the um, as as a happy medium, but there was a step change that occurred between twenty ten and twenty fifteen for both main parties, and that was um, that was quite uh, quite significant. Um, that they all sort of the between twenty ten and twenty fifteen, they all sort of, the Tories and the the Labour Party both sort of, that coalesced, um, are, but. Both from the top and from the bottom, so no matter which side of this we were going from, they were both trying to, um, or they were both appealing to the same um, voter spectrum. The other element was the um, the people who didn't vote. The people who didn't vote, who chose and chose not to vote, again were from that lower um, Maslow uh, Maslow hierarchy. So. It just proves that again. It almost reinforces that idea of Maslow's work that um, that you're that busy looking for safety and security, uh, looking to get your looking to get the, really the lower level things sorted out. That you don't really have that headspace to think. Well, what do other people need to do? How do I fit in society? Um, you're just looking to learn how to how to live, for, for want of a better expression. Um, and then there was a further change in 2017 for the Liberal Democrats where they were starting to go for a, a slightly going back to the centre ground as it were um, which was interesting for them because obviously they'd would uh, they been through a journey on their own and the Tories had a journey um, in 2005 to, five to 2010 too so as I've already said that they while they think they might think they're the party of for those um, who are affluent and that type of thing, they are actually the party of choice for those more in need and those who are struggling to survive. Um, Now, as I said, that step change in 2017 saw the Lib Dems going back to more aspiring people. So you could argue them being that liberal elite. So... Whilst I find that really interesting, um, I, I do think there is some significant messages there for um, for political parties and actually who they think they're targeting and who they are targeting. Certainly, my time as a um, as as a as a candidate and a, and a campaigner, um, this really changed the way I thought about things and, and influenced what I did. But this is only a very, very small study. The sample size and the way the sample was collected in particular, it was a um, uh, self-choosing um, questionnaire. And it was largely based on the social networks that we could get it on, which, given my background, are more left-leaning than anything else. And also what I said earlier about you have the the way, the way type of people that will actually fill out questionnaires of this type. Um, so really the intention was to determine if a more in-depth study should be done. But I think on the face of it, this does merit further investigation, and I think um, once I get some free time after the the election this year, I think we'll um, try and do do something to a get a, a broader sample and to get a bit deeper analysis, because I think it will be interesting to look to look further into the difference between who those who vote for a party and those who are members, also to see the differences there. So. I hope you don't mind my slight divergence onto um, a political subject, but obviously trying to keep with the human factors and human sciences theme and um, enjoying it. Well, I consider this sort of thing to be fun. Um, I'd be interested to know if, if you do. Future topics on the podcast. I'm starting to get more of a plan together. Um, it, it is good to be organized. Um so the three main topics that are, that are definitely in the pipeline. I'm hoping to be done before Christmas. Um, we'll be looking at critical decision making, um, particularly with respect to the um, Grenfell um, report that came out, and and the and the focus on on firefighters. So we'll delve into that a little bit. Not looking at the political aspects or anything like that, but actually looking at the questions that raises around critical decision making. We've got two interviews now in the schedule, um, just to be firmed up. One is on looking at human factors by other means, so there's a lot of people who use tools that are human factors, human science tools, but don't necessarily realise that they are, or um, are just um, integrated into other things. And then actually one on human factors professional development and mentoring. So they're two, hum- they're two um, interviews that are coming up fairly shortly. So please do get in touch with your thoughts um, either through the website or Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Please rate uh, this episode on and the and the podcast through wherever you get your podcast from, be it through um, um, iTunes or um, any of the other mediums that are out there. It really does help um, find other others find the podcast. But for now, I thank you for your time, and we shall see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.